classes. I didn't mention that, did I, Aaron? <laughs> Join Aaron. He's going to Africa, Aaron is. <laughs> but he is sending his eyeglasses. So if you have old eyeglasses, uh, we have a use for them. Uh, so dig through those old drawers and everything and bring out those eyeglasses and bring them down here. We're in 2 Samuel 14. Uh, we move today to several years later in David's reign, his kingship. David has mourned the death of Amnon, his oldest son. David understands the bitterness that Absalom, uh, another son, that Abs Absalom had towards Amnon because Amnon raped Tamar, Absalom's sister. It was Amnon's half-sister, but it was da Absalom's full sister. But we have David now, and he's desiring to reconcile with Absalom. It's been about three years since this uh, murder happened of Amnon, and Absalom has fled to a, a different nation. But, as it is in many cases, pride has stepped in, and David can't bring himself to go to Absalom, and Absalom's in his foreign country, and uh, he can't come to David. And we have Joab entering the picture. Joab is a man that was fiercely loyal to David. He had no inner ambitions of being a king or anything like that. He didn't want to self-promote. And Joab is unlike David's sons. So let's pick up in 2 Samuel 14, 1 through 24. So Joab, the son of Zuriah, perceived that the king's heart was concerned about Absalom. And Joab sent to Tekoa and brought from there a wise woman and said to her, Please pretend to be a mourner and put on mourning apparel. Do not anoint yourself with oil, but act like a woman who has been mourning for a long time for the dead. Go to the king and speak to him in this manner. So Joab put words in her mouth. And when the woman of Tekoa spoke to the king, she fell on her face to the ground, prostrated herself, and said, Help, O king. Then the king said to her, What troubles you? And she answered, Indeed, I am a widow. My husband is dead. Now your maidservant had two sons, and the two fought with each other in the field, and there was no one to part them. But the one struck the other and killed him. And now the whole family has raised up against your maidservant and said, Deliver him who struck the brother, that we may execute him for the life of his brother whom he killed. And we will destroy the heir also, so they would extinguish my ember that is left, and leave my husband neither name nor remnant on earth. Then the king said to the woman, Go to your house, I will give orders concerning you. And the woman of Tekoa said to the king, My lord, O king, 
Let the iniquity be on me and on my father's house, and the king and his throne be guiltless. So the king said, Whoever says anything to you, bring him to me, and he shall not touch you any more. Then she said, Please let the king remember the Lord your God, and do not permit the avenger of blood to destroy any more, lest they destroy my son. And he said, As the Lord lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. Therefore the woman said, Please let your maidservant speak another word to my lord the king. And he said, Say on. So the woman said, Why then have you schemed such a thing against the people of God? For the king speaks this thing as one who is guilty. And in that the king does not bring his banished one home again. For we will surely die and become like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God, God does not take away a life, but he devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. Now therefore, I have come to speak of this thing to my lord the king, because the people have made me afraid. And your maid servant said, I will now speak to the king. It may be that the king will perform the request of his maidservant. For the king will hear and deliver his maidservant from the hand of the man who would destroy me and my son together from the inheritance of God. Your maidservant said, The word of my lord the king will now be comforting. For as the angel of God, so is my lord the king in discerning good from evil. And may the Lord your God be with you. Then the king answered and said to the woman, Please do not hide from me anything that I ask you. And the woman said, Please let my lord the king speak. So the king said, Is the hand of Joab with you in all this? And the woman answered and said, As you live, my lord the king, no one can turn to the right hand or to the left from anything that my lord the king has spoken. For your servant Joab commanded me, and he put all these words in the mouth of your maidservant. To bring about this change of affairs, your servant Joab has done this thing. But my Lord is wise, according to the wisdom of the angel of God, to know everything that is in the earth. And the king said to Joab, All right, I have granted this thing. Go therefore and bring back the young man Absalom. Then Joab fell to the ground on his face, bowed himself, and thanked the king. And Joab said, Today your servant knows that I have found favor in your sight, my lord, O king, and that the king has fulfilled the request of his servant. So Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, Let him return to his own house. But do not let him see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house, but he did not see the king's face. Joab sees that his king is troubled. He's troubled by this estranged relationship between Absalom and himself. And Joab plans, has a plan of reconciliation. I believe Joab is so very loyal to David that he sees danger in Absalom being in another country of importance and could be a, a foe of Israel. 
Absalom, he's charismatic. He's handsome, charming son, and he's in a foreign land. Maybe he's stewing. Maybe he's weighing his options about what he should do about coming back to Jerusalem. And Joab wants the best for his king. Maybe he fears Absalom. And we know Absalom, he's not above doing desperate behavior actions. Uh, he invited Amnon over to his house for sheep shearing and kills Amnon. Therefore, Joab puts his plan into action, and it's a plan to soften the heart towards Absalom. Joab has this woman of Tekoa, and he, she tells a familiar story that is very similar to David's story, his life. And this woman, she gets direct. This story that I've told you, King David, it's about you and your sons. Instantly, David realizes Joab is behind all of this conspiracy. And he says, is the hand of Joab with you in all of this? And she declared, Joab conspired with the, this whole story, and he brought it about, and he put the very words into my mouth. But Joab's plan has succeeded. And David says, and evidently Joab is right there, all right, Joab, what's up? <laughs> and he says, go bring back Absalom and bring him to Jerusalem and allow him to return to his own house. David had a responsibility to do this because he is the high judge of Israel. It was his responsibility to try to attempt reconciliation within his own, uh, excuse me, within his own family. David is more than willing to reconcile this woman's son, but he's hesitant to reconcile with Absalom, his son. So we see David. He was way too lenient with Amnon, who raped his own daughter, and he wouldn't even speak against it. Now we see David, and he's way too strict, too harsh with Absalom. But he says, come back to Jerusalem, Absalom. But he orders Joab, do not let Absalom see the king's face. He said, he can come back home, but I'm not going to have a relationship with him. Which brings us to... I think the point of this whole passage, as parents, as fathers, it's important for us to find balance in raising our children. We have seen parents that are way too strict with their children, with their discipline. And we've seen other parents who would rather be their child's friend than be their parent. And we see the error in that. I have and you have seen both extremes as we look around this you know, world that we live in. So 
What does scripture say? Well, I think there's the greatest example in the New Testament, and it's about the prodigal sons. So turn to Luke 15. We'll, we'll look at this passage, Luke 15. And by the way, Greg Laurie, he's preached on this sermon of the prodigal sons many times. So, But I want us to look at this parable through the eyes of a father or a parent. It's a one-week-early Father's Day sermon. So you get it one week early. Luke 15, 11 through 16. Then Jesus said, A certain man had two sons, and a younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine or pigs. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. This parable begins with the younger son, and he's in complete rebellion to his father, saying, give me my portion of goods that will come to me. He's saying, Dad, I can't wait till you grow old and die. I want it now. Give me my inheritance now. This request in this society, the neighbors could have raised up and stoned this boy to death because that is complete rebellion. There was provision for this disobedient child in Leviticus, I believe it is, that they could actually kill this boy for asking such a thing. But what do we see? We see the father, he divides. He divides to his son, both younger, and don't miss this, and older. And he gives them their inheritance. Both sons are given their share. Soon the younger son, he leaves home, seeks out his own way, travels to a far country where the nightlife is the good life. <laughs> and he prop promptly spent all of his inheritance. No, he wasted all of his inheritance, money on prodigal living. But for a short time, he's enjoying himself. He's enjoying this new freedom, this new lifestyle. But his money runs out. And the young man is forced into a job of feeding pigs. Feeding the pigs of a local farmer, and he's out in the fields with these pigs. And a severe famine hits. This young prodigal son is so hungry, it says he would have eaten the pods, the pig food, because no one of that land gave him anything. Interesting. Today, China. 
with its billions of people, they have a ferocious appetite for pork. And they buy soybeans, pods, pig food from around the globe. They buy it from Australia. They buy it from Brazil. They buy it from us here in the United States. They buy it from Canada. Anywhere they can find this uh, soybean, they buy it because they have so many pig farms in China to feed. And so soybean is a good crop to grow right now. But we have this young prodigal, and he's hit rock bottom. He's hungry. He's destitute. He's out in the fields with pigs. Filthy pigs. To say this is a degrading job is, you know, is is overstatement. But pig farms and pigs, in the way they live, they stink. Out in California, when I was farming for a few years, I had a neighbor who decided to raise one pig for slaughter. He wanted some pork. He stunk up the whole neighborhood with one pig. Seriously, you could tell when you, oh man, why don't that guy kill that pig already? Now this young man, he's more than likely a Jew. He's out there and he's living and eating with stinking pigs. That's rock bottom. Life has turned very, very ugly for this young prodigal. So let's read the rest of the story here, 17 through 32. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise, go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And he said, Son... And, he, and the son said to him, rather, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. A happy reunion occurs. Now the scene shifts. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house, and he heard the music and the dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come home, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry, and he would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have, trans I have never transgressed your commandments at any time, 
and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, he has devoured your livelihood with harlots. You killed the fatted calf for him. (coughs) Excuse me. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and it was lost and is found. First we see that when the young son came to himself, he had an epiphany, he had an awakening. He remembers that his father's servants had more than enough bread to eat, and yet he was hungry. And he's repentant. And we read about how he says, I will arise, go to my father. He realized his sin. He goes to his father. He is warmly greeted by dad. And the father is overjoyed at his son's return. Notice the father has been watching for this return. He's been waiting and watching for his boy's return. But notice he did not pursue the son. He didn't follow him and try to persuade him to come home. The father knew that things must run their course. This godly father is patient and he waits. He realizes God works on his behalf as a godly father. God is with you, fathers, when you discipline your children in a godly way. God works. He wants to establish Christian homes, and he's for us. And he's for us in the discipline of our wayward children. When this boy, when this son is a great way off, the father sees him, has compassion for his son, and runs to greet him. He honors this boy that's been away for years, who returns. He kills the fatted calf, puts a family ring on his hand, giving him authority again, and a clean robe and new sandals on his feet. I noticed a lot of sandals out here this morning, but who's saying anything? And the entire house of this rich man is merry with laughter and music. It's a great reunion, but not the older son. He's angry. He pouts. He sulks. He stays outside. He will not even come in and greet his brother and join in the festivities. So the father goes out to the older son, and he pleads with him. But the older son has a complaint. For many years, I have been serving you. I've been a good son. I never transgressed your commandments. And dad, you never gave me a party. And too often, I identify with that older son. But don't miss this. This is key to this. The father sets the record straight. Son, you are with me 
and all that I have is yours. Let me translate that for you. Son, you are extremely wealthy from your service. Not to me, but for yourself. You have been serving yourself because I divided the inheritance years ago. Remember, son, I gave you your portion when I divided my livelihood. And I divided it. And by the way, son, I gave you twice as much because you were the older son. I never cheated you. You have been working for your own benefit. And we see the prodigal young son. He was very foolish, but he repented and he came home. Now we see the older, bitter brother. He's ungrateful for his wealth that was given to him by his dad. Being the older son, as I said, he received the double portion as the younger son. He received twice as much as his brother did. So outside of seeing two foolish sons disrespecting their dad, we have a great example being uh, laid out for us here of a loving father dealing with rebellious sons. Dad didn't fight dividing his wealth with his sons. He divided to both sons. He doesn't try and stop the younger son from leaving. Interesting. We do not hear the father warning his son, okay, here's your inheritance, but don't come crying to me when it runs out. You can't come back. No, the father doesn't do that. This wise, loving father allows the cruel world to chastise and discipline this young, foolish son. The father knew what would happen. He knew his son. He, he could have wrote it out for him, what's going to happen. And it took years, but guess what? The son finally came to himself. He awakens to how foolish and sinful he has been. And dad, after many years, and it says years, he still watches. He still looks for his son to return. That's a dad with an overwhelming love for his boy. And he sees his son, he honors him, and their relationship is restored. But the son has wasted his wealth. But he's back. He's back with his father, and dad will take care of him. They both rejoice. Father and son, they rejoice because they have each other now. But the older son, he's bitter. He forgot about his own inheritance. Working with his father for his own benefit. 
He increased his own wealth and he acts like he was doing dad a favor. His own net worth is skyrocketing and he acts like I'm being the good son. But dad gently reminds this older son, you're with me always and all that I have is yours. Question for this bitter older son. And the dad asked the question, was it not right we be merry and glad for your brother? Wasn't it the right thing to do to be happy that your brother returned? The older brother couldn't call him his brother. He called him your son. He couldn't even call him his brother. He says, your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is now found. Dad is telling this older son, you should be rejoicing. You should be happy. Your brother who was dead is now alive. In this story, there's two foolish sons here. Dad knew that the hard, cruel world would discipline his younger son. Dad knew this. But the older son, he has a callous, hard heart. And he is chastised by his father. The older son has allowed hatred to cause or bring about what we would call a bitter, hard heart. He's unloving of his brother, and he doesn't realize what a good father he has. Double whammy. Dad, he's been watching and waiting for the younger son to return and is happy. He runs to this younger son who's repentant, and their relationship is restored. As parents, we sometimes must step back and allow our children to make their mistakes. You gotta do it sometimes. It's the only way they're gonna learn. Do you think this godly father was praying for his son who's in a foreign land without question? He's loving, he's kind, and he rejoices at seeing his son return because the son has come to his senses. He has realized his sin. God and the circumstances of life will help you parents correct your children. God is for you. He's for you parents. He wants children raised as they should. But if a child won't listen, sometimes you have no choice but to give them over to their desires. But be praying for them. Show them love and forgiveness when they return. And they will return. It took years, years for this younger son to come to his senses. 
but the father continued to watch and pray for his boy. It was granted once again a relationship with his younger son. Amen. Maybe you could just stand. We'll close in prayer. Unfortunately, I see myself in that older son too much. <laughs> but let's pray. Father God, thank you for your love, your kindness, your patience with us. Thank you for not quitting on us. Lord, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven in, in many of the ways that that younger son has. And you took me back. You took me back into your fold. You set me up on my feet again. And you give me reason to live and exist. And I thank you for that. You are kind, Lord. You are a good father. And we thank you for that. But Lord, let us learn. We love our children, but you love them also. You love them more than we love them. And many times, you allow circumstance of this world to correct, to chastise, to discipline our kids. And let us see you when you're doing that. But let us be loving and kind, quick to forgive and quick to restore. May we be like you, our Heavenly Father. And we pray for this, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.